In your Bible, if you will turn to John chapter 8, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Yet once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Now, what Jesus does in this passage is really quite, um, quite brilliant. It's brilliant for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons that really stands out to me and really gripped me when I was reading this, which kind of messed with me last week, which is why I kind of delayed kind of doing this passage straight away for the week one of the series, is, is this moment where Jesus stoops down and writes with his finger on the ground. It, it's it's absolute it's absolute genius. If you go straight back to the the Old Testament, if you go back to the instruction to the law of God, it's said that on Mount Sinai, God etched the law of God on stone with His finger. They ask Him a question concerning what they say is the law of Moses, and His response is to start writing with His finger. They're talking about the law of Moses, and as He's writing with His finger. The message he's saying without even saying any words, they've talked about the law of Moses and he's kind of reminding them of who wrote that law. And he's provocatively saying that's his law. And he starts writing in the ground. We don't know what he writes in the ground. We, we don't know. We can do all sorts of speculations. Some have said he writes out the law. Some have said he wrote out their particular sins through words of knowledge. People have said all different kinds of things. What he could have even done is actually written out the law that they are talking about because they have done something pretty incredible. They've done something which dates back straight to the Garden of Eden that precedes the law. Because what they've done is they've said, now in the law of Moses commanded to um, now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Moses' law doesn't command them to stone such a woman. It commands them to stone the man and the woman. They've taken the law 
and they've twisted it. The same way it happened in the Garden of Eden. The same way. And so he's there writing, suggestively, provocatively saying to the crowd who he is with his finger. And there's nowhere else in the scriptures where Jesus starts writing with his finger. Just this one occasion when they're having this kind of um, debacle. And there's also an interesting situation here, what, what uh, jumps out at me is that like they want to nail Jesus. They want to get this guy. And out of the blue, this woman is kind of caught in adultery. Just so happens as he's speaking in the temple. It's like, man, wow. Someone won the national lottery and had all the balls line up in one and the bonus ball. And here she is dragged out in front of them. They don't drag the guy, but she was caught in the act. She's been caught in adultery, yet the guy isn't there. Why is the dude not there? Have they done this deliberately to bring someone before Jesus to accuse him? And by bringing this scenario up, what they've done is they've stuck him between two opposing positions. Because what they've done is they've said, well, if you agree with the law of Moses, she needs to be stoned. If you authorize her to be stoned, you oppose Pilate because Pilate says that we don't have the right to action our laws concerning execution. So that they had freedom of expression with various parts of the law, but they couldn't execute anyone. So when they're doing this, they're kind of like going like, well, there you go, Jesus. Are you going to agree with Moses? They're like, this guy is totally screwed. Because if he doesn't agree with Moses, the opposite happens and they no longer have any need to challenge him against Pilate because he will discredit himself to the crowd, to the temple. Everyone's digging his teaching. This has been going on a while now because if we flip back just one page, um, a few verses before then, division among the people. He'd been doing some teaching. He'd been talking about rivers of living water. And he said, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is a prophet. This really is the prophet, not a prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ would come from the offspring of David? And he comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. So like this, this is where they're really getting freaked out. So it doesn't surprise me why there's this conspiracy to kind of nab him because their own guards, their own employees are like, yeah, but seriously, you got to hear this guy. He's absolutely flipping amazing. I've never heard anyone like this. And they're like slightly vexed at this, this situation because they go, their response is, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. The crowd that doesn't know the law. They don't understand. They see them as, as beneath them. They don't understand the law. They don't understand these things. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our Lord judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So Nicodemus poses this question. Do we write people off before we hear them out? So what is their response? Their response is to hear him out by stacking the odds against him so that for them there's only one of two ways for Jesus to turn and either way he's screwed. So 
Nicodemus raises the question. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Which is like, that's a straight par. Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. He's like, dude, there are no prophets in Galilee. And there's nothing about a prophet arising from Galilee. And they, they slam Nicodemus down. And, but then they kind of seem to go along with what Nicodemus says because they go to question him. They go to hear him. But they do it in a way where the dice are loaded, the dice are rigged, and Jesus has to either oppose Pilate or is discredited among the crowd, which would then disempower him because they're worried about the influence he's having. And you can see the influence he's having because their own guards didn't bother to capture the guy that they've been sent to capture. Because they're like, yeah, I know you guys totally want this dude, but like, he's pretty amazing. I, I think he's legit. I think he's legit. And then they get slammed down. And then Jesus is here. And what he does is extremely brilliant. And the reason it's extremely brilliant is because they place him in a situation that ends up with one or two outcomes. You oppose Pilate or you're discredited. When he says to them, he who is without sin cast the first stone, they now have to choose between opposing Pilate or a discredited. And so they're standing there for ages and he's doing this and he's put them in the same position they put him back in. It's just like, a, it's like tennis. They've served an ace. And Jesus has pinged it straight back. And they're like, I do not know where to put this ball. And they hit it out. They hit it straight out of play. Because they're like, uh, we can't do this. Because we can't oppose Pilate. We're the government. We'll lose everything. We can't confess our sins in public in front of the crowd that have been listening to his teachings because we'll be discredited. So what do they do? One by one, they leave the oldest to the youngest. But in doing so, they leave discredited how they wanted Jesus to leave the situation discredited. He's flipped it completely around. But it's actually a lot deeper than that because in John chapter 3, Jesus has this moment which leads up to it because the context is in the preceding chapter is Nicodemus is saying, well, you guys need to hear this dude. Like, don't we hear someone before they judge them? Well, in chapter three, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born and Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of flesh is flesh but that which is born of spirit is spirit do not marvel when I say to you you must be born again the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes or where it goes for it is with everyone who is born of the spirit Nicodemus said to to him how can these things be and Jesus said are you the teacher of Israel you do not understand these things truly I say to you we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe the heavenly things that I have to say no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man but Moses 
And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, we, that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God and this is the judgment the light has come into the world but the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light um, lest his deeds be exposed but whoever does what is true to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out by God. So he has this conversation with Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is, is there and he says, we need to hear this guy out. Then they go to, with the rigged, loaded dice, ready to question him, ready to test him. And everything he teaches to Nicodemus, he now shows him there in the moment where he says, you need to be born again. from." And when it says born again, in the, in, in the literal translation, it's born from on high. It's like born from above. It's not the, the loaded um, situation and scenario that we kind of... So there's, 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 there's not this loaded language that we know of born again where we stereotype it with a particular denomination, be it Pentecostal, be it charismatic. But he's saying you're going to be born from a new kingdom. You're going to be born from a new place because what's flesh is flesh and what's spirit is spirit. And this woman has this issue with the flesh where she's there, flesh and blood, standing before them and they want to stone her and they want to condemn her according to the law. But he says, I don't come to condemn. And he says to Nicodemus, he talks about light and he talks about darkness. And he says, those that come to the light, they receive this eternal life for believing in him it's like this light shines on them and then he says there are those who just love the darkness because they don't want to expose their wicked ways and then if we look at chapter 8 where we are as this is all unfolding this woman is standing exposed in the light and what does she do when no one condemns her does she sneak away avoiding the issue of her situation no she stands there in front of this Jesus and he says to her does anyone condemn you she says no one and she calls him lord she calls him like rabbi no one no one lord no one teacher no one master no one and then he says to her neither do i condemn you and from now on go and sin no more so right there and then before the crowd and before those who've been listening to his teaching he shows them exactly what this new age to come looks like, that those who are broken, those who are hurting, can stand in the light naked with their shame and their situation, and they can find restoration, they can find healing, they can find wholeness. But if you look at the crowd, and if you look at the leaders and the accusers, what happens is, one by one, they go away. He says, he was about sin, cast the first stone. When they acknowledge their sin, what do they do? Do they stand like her and await judgment from him? No. One by one, they walk away, not confessing their sin. One by one, they walk away, not holding it there, waiting to have this beautiful cleansing moment to be born from on high, to be born afresh, to be born anew. But one by one, they sneak away. And just like Jesus had said to Nicodemus in chapter 3, this is how it is in our society. This is how we are as a people. And this is what needs to happen if we are to receive new life, to receive the gift that God has for each one of us. This is what has to happen and yet one by one, each of these men sneak away. And then Jesus connects it straight back so there can be no doubt for Nicodemus in the next verse in verse 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, 
you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. Relating back down to his kind of little finger moment. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, where is your Father? Jesus says, you neither know me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus speaks about newness of life. He speaks about eternal life. He speaks about forgiveness. He speaks about being of spirit. He speaks about flesh. He speaks about us. He speaks about here and now. He speaks to a society that wants to hide away in the darkness. And if I'm totally honest at the way I look at myself, I'm, if I look at that story, I, I feel like I'm both sets of people and sometimes you can feel like one set of people more than the other sometimes you can feel like a mixture it can be all different kinds of things but if I'm to look at my own life honestly this morning reflect I feel like the woman standing there I know the sin in my life but at the same time I feel like them because I'm the kind of guy who to my shame would bring someone and say well look at this person's situation when Jesus has wanted me to stand in the light and look at my own situation and allow his light to shine on me but at the same time, I feel like them as well because I feel like that woman, but I don't feel I'm as brave and courageous as her. I feel like I want to sneak away into the shadows. I feel like I don't want to say, Jesus, here am I. I need you. I need your love. I need your refreshing. I need your life that you give. I need to be born again of a living hope. I need to be born from on high. I need who you are. I feel like I'm not courageous enough to stand in front of his light, naked, without shame owning my sin, owning who I am and owning who he is that I might be someone else. This morning I'm going to pray for us. But actually as I pray, only one thing really matters and that is this. Whether you decide to stand naked before Jesus in the light for who you are or whether you wish to continue to pretend and make accusation and discuss other people's inadequacy in a public forum and what should be done to them rather than standing, what should be done with me. Father, we read this story and we bring our series to a close. He was about sin, cast the first hashtag. There's only one hashtag we want to bring up this morning and that is your gospel. That is your goodness. That is your sacrificial love that you gave yourself for us. That you invite us to follow you that woman called you Lord. Within their culture and their context, it most likely translates as rabbi. Even in the midst of her judgment, where she should be judged for her sin, where she should, according to their words, be killed, you still invite her to follow you and you offer her something so much more, something she never dreamed of. The opportunity to be in correct balance with the universe, with you, with one another, with man and with God, that she might go and sin no more. Father God, this morning we just come and we stand before you, God. We know who we are. We make no hiding about it. We make no joke about it, if we can be brave enough. And we say, Lord, this is me. 
I don't want to slip away into the darkness and hide who I am. I own who I am and I bring it before you. I'm not going to leave before you stand up. I know you're writing out your law because you wrote it and you are the law in the physical body and human flesh. You are God's word. I'm not going to run away and hide from you. I can't hide from you. Adam and Eve couldn't hide from you and I know I can't either. I stand before you, Jesus, and I invite your judgment. I invite you to come and to speak into my life as who I am. I invite you to speak whatever you have to say to me, Lord. I invite you, Lord. I welcome you this morning to speak into my life. I give my life away, Lord God, that you can use me. I give my life to you this morning, that you can have your way with it, that you can do whatever you want. I know that you are the only one I can trust my life to. I place it in your hands. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here this morning to challenge, to shape us, to guide us, to live through us. Father, forgive us. We don't know what we're doing most of the time. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord. Amen.